All right, so good morning again. Um, in First Chronicles 12, you don't have to go there, but uh, men from the tribes of Israel are gathering themselves to David because King Saul and his son Jonathan are now dead. Beginning in verse 23 of First Chronicles 12, we read of the number of Israelite men coming to David from each tribe, Judah and Simeon and Levi, etc. And in verse 32, we read this. Please hear this now from First Chronicles 12, 32. From the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200 and all their kinsmen were at their command. It's an important verse to me. Men who understood the times. How nice that would be. Like unicorns, you know? They're rumored to exist, but no one's actually ever seen one. Especially in the church. The sermon title today is Calling Christians to Return to Reality. And this will not be our standard fare here at Abiding Grace Church. Typically, we're expositional, we are exegetical, and most of you know this, but we're going to end the year with a bit of a bang here, I guess. And my hope is that we could see a little more clearly the things that are right in front of us. Are they real? Are they true? These are the only questions that matter. We must be about the business of understanding our times for then we are more valuable to the kingdom. As we call people out of the darkness and into God's glorious light. This is what the Apostle Paul said. You heard it just a few minutes ago. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11 of Ephesians 5. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Friends, there is something happening right before our very eyes, and so many people cannot see it. We must see it. It's like a fish. Like Imagine you're a fish. And I ask you, if you're wet... Your response might be something like this. What is wet? The reason you would give such an answer perhaps is because you, the fish, you're surrounded all day, every day, completely engulfed in a certain environment, in a certain culture. And the fish has become so accustomed to that environment that it doesn't even recognize that there's a reality other than that 
environment. This is us. And the only solution is that we must force ourselves outside of our environment and see it and analyze it from the outside. And this is what I'm going to attempt to do this morning. Here are a few questions for you to ponder as you're thinking about the water we're all swimming in. This will come a little bit of rapid fire. You can think about them later. Here we go. Are you aware that the Amazon and New York Times bestsellers are not really the bestsellers? Are you aware that the things that are trending at Yahoo and Twitter are only trending because someone decided that those particular things are what should be trending? Are you aware that your curiosity about the things that you don't know about, say, Billie Eilish, can actually increase the income for those people? And the the only reason you might be curious about, say, Billie Eilish, is because YouTube tells you that this is whom you should be curious about? Some of you think Billie Eilish is a guy. She's not. At least not yet. Are you aware that your Alexa or your Google Home is listening, recording everything you're saying in your own home? Pastor Mike just told me this morning, he heard himself, the things he was saying in his house. Are you aware that digital videos can now be manipulated by computer software in such a way that the manipulation cannot be detected and even you can be made on the video to do something that you didn't even do? Are you aware that the technology exists to track your every move and it's being used in China today to track citizens and give them a social credit score? And said social credit score determines where that citizen can shop or if that citizen can shop at all or even go where that person goes within the city limits? Are you aware of what percentage of your mouse clicks on the internet causes money to change hands? See Pastor Scott's sermon from last week about the dangers of money. Let me set up the discussion a little more with this story. This happened to me, okay? On Thursday, December 9th, this is two and a half weeks ago, I happened upon the following three articles on the same day. Article number one, the Surgeon General of the United States issued a report entitled Protecting Your Mental Health. Here it is. Here's a few takeaways. Takeaway number one, quote, even before the COVID-19 pandemic, mental health challenges were the leading cause of disability and poor life outcomes in young people with up to one in five children ages 3 to 17 in the U.S. with a reported mental, emotional, developmental, or behavioral disorder. From 2009 to 2019, the proportion of high school students reporting persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased by 40%. The share seriously Seriously considering attempted suicide increased by 36%. And 
and the share creating a suicide plan increased by 44%. Takeaway number two, quote, research covering youth globally found that depressive and anxiety symptoms doubled during the pandemic. In early 2021, emergency department visits in the U.S. for suspected suicide attempts were 51% higher for adolescent girls and 4% higher for adolescent boys compared to 2019. Here's a big, big takeaway for us, the church. There's a we can take action section in this report. Well, who's the we in we can take action? Young people, family members, caregivers, educators, school districts, healthcare organizations, healthcare professionals, media, entertainment, journalists, tech companies, community organizations, and governments. So I turn to page 29 to see exactly what a community organization is. And it turns out there's no definition. But I figured that churches might qualify. That's us. Well, faith leaders are mentioned once under the heading community organizations. And these so-called faith leaders are encouraged to, quote, educate the public about the importance of mental health and reduce negative stereotypes, bias, and stigma around mental illness. Also, quote, to address misconceptions in populations that have an outsized influence over young people, such as families, educators, healthcare professionals, etc. A search of the document for the term misconceptions yielded no list. The bottom line is this the state of mental health, especially for youth in our country, is not a good news story. It may be, listen, this, it may be that two of every five children you know or you meet have some type of mental health issue. Two out of five. And apparently churches are not near the front of the line for consideration as being part of this solution. At least from the perspective of the U.S. Surgeon General's office. Article number two from the New York Times. An article entitled, Where the Despairing Log On and Learn Ways to Die. Bottom line. The article was about websites where people can go to find out about how to commit suicide effectively. There are goodbye threads where young people announce how and when they plan to end their lives. The website now draws six million page views per month on average which is quadruple that of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Quote, most members reported that they had experienced mental illness and were 30 or younger according to a survey by the site. There have been called world, calls worldwide to have the site and others like it banned from the internet. But these efforts, especially in the US, have been largely unsuccessful. Here's a shocker. Google and Bing have not been real helpful in these efforts to shut down sites like this. The two men who run the site have, quote, vowed to fight any efforts to take down the site and have worked to shield the site and to frustrate efforts to learn who's behind it. They move their servers from country to country in an attempt to remain hidden. And these guys obviously go by aliases. And then they claimed when they were identified that they weren't really the guys that owned the site. It was, of course, a case of mistaken identity. You know, it wasn't me syndrome. 
Article number three. Same day. From Yahoo News. An article entitled, Millennial Parents Are Raising Their Kids Without Religion, and That's Totally Okay. I'm not kidding. It was a 48-second video clip that summarized some studies. And here's the text in the video clip. I'm going to read it for you. Quote, Religion has been seen as a resource for fostering moral development in children for generations. However, religious households in recent years have declined because beliefs are changing. A 2019 survey from the American Enterprise Institute found the following. 42% of parents with kids under 18 said they regularly took their kids to religious services. Compare that to 65% of parents, 65 or older, who said they sent their kids to a religious education program. Quote, whether you're raising your children with religion or not, the most important lesson you can teach them is to be kind to everyone. End quote from some woman named Reverend Deborah Hafner. So let's assess this reality, friends. On one day, just two and a half weeks ago, a person in the same newsfeed can find the following. One, humans' mental health, especially that of young people, is declining at a rapid rate. A scary, rapid rate. Two, there are websites these young people can go visit to find out how to kill themselves and post their goodbye thread beforehand that are getting six million views per month. And number three, it's totally cool to raise your kids without any religious underpinning. No problem there. No correlation whatsoever. Nothing to see here says some woman, Reverend Nutjob, who apparently King David had in mind when he wrote Psalm 14, verse 1. This, friends, is the reality we are living in. And it's only getting worse. And Christians are complicit. Here's what I mean. Let's talk about how the internet, especially social media, is not reality. In order for this discussion to make sense, you have to become familiar with a word. And the word is curated. Curated. Curated means carefully chosen, thoughtfully organized, and presented. For example, a hip clothing store curates... It's stock to ensure that the right kind of people will shop there. And people like me won't. Or a restaurant will curate its menu to ensure that its dinner options are unique among its local competitors. The, the restaurant owner is very picky, he's very particular about the meals that he offers. Only serving that which he wants to be served. He's curating and designing what does this have to do with the internet? Specifically social media. Oh, I hate to burst your bubble. But what you're seeing in your social media feed and on much of the rest of the internet is not reality. The content is curated for you. And yes, by you. What do I mean? Let me ask you a simple question. If you and I looked at your social media feed over the past, say, month or even year, right? It's the end of the year. You know, your friends' posts, 
the people you know well, you know what's going on in their lives. Like, you really know these people. We all have friends like that. If we looked at their posts on social media, do those posts, what they're projecting to the world, do those posts accurately reflect what you know to be true in their lives? Or are they curating their posts to project to the world a narrative that is not true? Like the restaurant owner being very picky, very particular, only showing the world what he wants the world to see. What about us? What about me? Here we go. I don't do much social media, but let's say over the course of a couple days, hear how it goes. Jen and I go out for a romantic dinner because the kids are spending the night at Graham and Pax, which we did because they did. And Jen, of course, takes a picture of her meal as it arrives because that's apparently a thing. And she posts it on some social media site, which she thankfully did not do. And of course, the text of the post reads this, quote, Out for a romantic dinner with the love of my life, in all caps. We're just in love, 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 all caps. People see that and they're thinking, man, those Vinay's. They have it all together. Best marriage ever. And then, because I can occasionally be an idiot, the next morning, I'm a little sharp with my wife because there's no orange juice in the refrigerator because she didn't go to the store, which I asked her to do. This did not happen, by the way, but that is not the point. (laughs) So I'm sharp with my wife the next morning, right? Did that make it onto Jen's social media feed? Here's the post, quote, forget the romantic dinner, Steve's a jerk. Apparently he can't find his car keys, go to Coco's while I'm sleeping and get himself some OJ. Need marriage counselor. Bad. Did that make it out there on social media for the world to see? No, of course it didn't. What's the point? The point is that we, Christians, are contributing to the propagation of the non-reality of our culture. By curating the information we allow people to see. The point is this, it's not real. So much of what we're seeing in this technological age is not real. Now you may be saying at this point, preacher, no kidding. You think I didn't know that? Do you think I'm stupid? Answer, no. I don't think you're stupid. I know each of you. And I say without reservation that I know none of you is stupid. However, I want you to ask this question. Is our participation in the propagation of this non-reality, is it okay? Is it Christian? Paul wrote this, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Brothers and sisters, we have to think about this now. What is pleasing to the Lord because it's only going to get worse? Here's another question we're going to ponder together this morning, and we're going to spend some time here. Are you aware 
that the metaverse is coming. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's okay for the next few minutes. After that, not okay. We must understand our times. Some of you more experienced folk, it's likely that you're past the age where this is going to be a temptation for you. And that's good. But please do not check out. You have children. You have grandchildren. And what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes will impact their lives. Maybe even their eternal destinies. So I'm asking you, please hang with me. The first thing I will do is I will tell you what the metaverse is like. And to do that, I'm going to appeal to the 2018 science fiction adventure film, Ready Player One. It's based on an Ernest Cline novel of the same name. The movie was directed by Steven Spielberg. Ready Player One is set in the year 2045, when most of humanity uses the oasis. Now listen, hang with me here. The oasis is a virtual reality simulation that people use to escape the real world. In the movie, the orphaned Wade Watts finds clues to a contest that promises the ownership of the oasis to the winner, and he and his allies try to complete the contest before an evil corporation can do so. Ready Player One is rated PG-13. By the way, I'm not endorsing the film, I'm just informing you. So let's talk about this OASIS. You need to understand this. OASIS is an acronym. It stands for Ontologically Anthropocentric Sensory Immersive Simulation. It's a massively multiplayer online simulation game created by two really smart characters in the movie. Now listen, while starting as an online gaming platform, the OASIS gradually evolved into a globally networked virtual reality World that, as I said, most of humanity uses in the movie on a daily basis. In fact, the culture in the movie has so degraded as a result that most people are living in dingy trailer parks where the trailers are actually stacked one on top of another. At one point in the movie, here is how the oasis is summarized. Please listen to this. This is the character Wade Watts speaking, quote, This is the oasis. That's the simulation he's looking at. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. You can do anything, go anywhere, like the vacation planet. Surf a 50-foot monster wave in Hawaii. You can ski down the pyramids. You can climb Mount Everest with Batman. Check out this place. It's a casino the size of a planet. You can lose your money there. You can get married. You can get divorced. You can, you can go in there. And the scene shows an adults-only motel with advertised hourly rates. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. Tall, beautiful, scary, a different sex, a different species, live action, cartoon, it's all your call. And then 
Wade's avatars, avatar appears. He says, yeah, that's me. Well, that's my avatar, at least until I feel like changing it. Except for eating, sleeping, and bathroom breaks, whatever people want to do, they do it in the oasis. And since everyone is here, this is where we meet each other. This is where we make friends. End quote. Now, why am I telling you so much about the oasis in the movie Ready Player One? I can assure you that I have no financial stake in any of this. I'm telling you this because the oasis is coming. And it's called, in our world, the metaverse. It's being developed now. It's being invested in now. At least the companies that are doing the developing are being invested in. And apparently, plots of virtual real estate in the metaverse are already being sold, whatever that means. Let me give you some background. You're all much more familiar with the name Facebook. Obviously, Facebook is arguably the most popular social media site in the world. We've all got Facebook accounts, yeah? Even Scott has one. Well, Facebook recently changed its corporate name to Meta, which ironically in Hebrew means dead. That's for you to stew on later today. So Meta, back in October, Mark Zuckerberg laid out his company's vision of the metaverse as the successor to the mobile internet. The metaverse is, quote, a set of interconnected digital spaces that let you do things, that lets you do things you can't do in the physical world. Importantly, it'll be characterized by social presence, the feeling that you're right there with a person no matter where in the world you happen to be. This is an exciting chapter for the company, and we're excited to help bring the metaverse to life. End quote. Parts of the metaverse already exist. Listen, the Horizon Home. This is your home base in the metaverse. There are gaming options, including, this is your chance, baby boomers, okay? This is your chance. Gaming options, including the fan favorite, Grand Theft Auto. There are also fitness options, meeting options for the workplace, etc. You get the idea. By the way, you should also know that Mark Zuckerberg, Meta CEO, is interested in providing virtual reality-based options for worship. Yes, indeed. No one left behind. Even the Luddites that we are here in church, Mark Zuckerberg is giving us, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, a metaverse worship option. And it's just like really being there, I promise. All this is coming. Do you remember life without the internet? Some of you have no idea. I do, but it's hard. And this successor to the internet is coming, and it's coming fast. What could possibly go wrong? And how should we as Christians think about this? All right. First, what could go wrong? Well, for starters, let me give you an example. Building on what Pastor Scott preached on last Sunday from Matthew 6, in the metaverse there will be NFTs. NFTs. Non-fungible tokens. In short, virtual money. Can't see anything going wrong there, right? No chance that at some point, tokens won't be the target of human greed, stolen from others, and used for nefarious means, right? 
like at an adults-only virtual motel. Think about it. How does one even tell who's an adult in the metaverse? Maybe Mark Zuckerberg will figure that one out, and maybe he won't. And I'm absolutely 100% sure that in the metaverse, there won't be any cyberbullying at all. Like what we see now on social media platforms, right? I mean, cyberbullying, that's so 2021. I didn't mention it earlier, but you are aware, aren't you, that cyberbullying is at the root of a lot of what's going on with depression in teens? Are you aware of the percentage of teen girls that are struggling with body image as a result of their experiences on social media? Newsflash, Facebook is aware. And the number, it's sad. I'm sad for these little girls who don't know how valuable they are because all they do all day, every day, is compare themselves to pictures on the internet that aren't real. And what about the avatars? I mentioned the term avatar before. You know what an avatar is, right? An avatar is a virtual electronic image that is created by a human that represents that human in a virtual reality environment. In the quote from Ready Player One earlier, this is what I said, quote, people come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. Tall, beautiful, scary, a different sex, a different species, a cartoon. It's all your call. Literally, what will be happening is that human beings, created in the image and likeness of God, will be given the opportunity to play God and reinvent themselves in whatever image they deem acceptable to themselves. Does that sound familiar? Here's a quote. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, brothers and sisters, this is nothing more than the technological realization of fallen humanity's God complex. But it's worse than that. You see, when a fallen sinful human enters the oasis, enters the metaverse, he or she takes their sin in there with them. I've already made mention of it. Greed, theft, adultery, bullying, with no physical constraints. And who makes the law in a place like the metaverse anyway? I submit to you that humanity has not yet even begun to have the boundaries of sin in view. I mean, you think that men and women are confused now about what gender they are? Wait until they can fashion their own avatars in a virtual reality world. The Apostle Paul, describing sinful man in Romans 1, says that we, sinful humans, we invent ways of doing evil. Romans chapter 1, verse 30. Yes, yeah, this is true. 
Think about this for a moment. What if we, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, have only scratched the surface of sin? How should we as Christians think about all this? What ought we to do? Now, I am not standing up here about to make some declarations for how every Christian should think or act with regard to the metaverse. And declaring that if you don't think the same thoughts as me, then you're obviously a heretic, destined for hell, and you're not welcome at the Lord's table. That, that's not my goal this morning. My goal is to make an attempt at providing some biblically-based guidelines to help us, all of us, navigate what is most assuredly coming. And let me say this too. I'm not advocating for us Christians to throw up our hands and throw out our phones and our laptops. I pay my bills online like you do, and I'm not about to go back to writing checks and using a solar-powered calculator to balance my checkbook by hand. What I want is for us all to think. Think, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we get back to Pastor Mike's sermon series next week in Romans. So many of us just go about our days. We we live in this non-reality all around us and we're not thinking. We're not assessing. We are not discriminating. We are not discerning. Young people, I want you to start thinking and stop just swiping. That's what I want. I just want us all to be aware and discerning and thinking biblical thoughts under the kingship of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive. This is our charge. Here are some things for us to think about. One, some might argue that we should be using all of this to our advantage, to the advantage of the gospel. You know, let's let's dive in and get some people saved. Now at first, this sounds reasonable, plausible, and maybe even right. But let's just think a little bit. On the one hand, there is that one person who has gotten saved by reading a curse-laden Facebook thread replete with ad hominem attacks and a whole bunch of name-calling. I mean, that's a really compelling argument. I think you almost have me on that one. I'm not being sarcastic at all. But to counter such a compelling argument, I would ask the following questions. What does it even mean to preach the gospel of free grace to a disembodied avatar, which is free, at least in the metaverse, from the actual actual temptations of real physical flesh? What does it even mean to preach the gospel to an avatar, which is not in the form of a human made in the image and likeness of God? Is our witness true in that case, when we ourselves are represented by an image that is not really us? Are we commanded, this is, we need to think about this, are we commanded or even given the freedom by Christ to spread the gospel by any means necessary? I submit the answer to this question is no. 
which should at the very least give us pause. Here's an example. Was it appropriate in the 1960s to engage the hippie LSD culture with the gospel by tripping ourselves on LSD? You know, entering into that world, to reach that world, that's what people will say. All I'm saying is we need to think, and we need to think now, because these questions are coming, and they're coming fast. Number two, if we keep doing the same things that everyone else is doing, even in the name of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, how exactly are we being a peculiar people set apart unto the Lord? I mean, I'm sure I don't have to rattle off all the texts in the Bible that exhort us who believe in Jesus to be holy. We saw it in the Sermon on the Mount from the lips of King Jesus himself. Matthew 5, 48. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, some translations say, you must be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Again, there are things that the world is doing that we ought not, that we cannot do. Amen? There are places that the world is going where we ought not go. Let's think hard about the places, real or virtual, that we venture into. What does our going there say about us? About our God? Is it acceptable to God to worship virtually? I submit that too many people haven't really thought that hard about this. Hard enough. One more thing as I close up shop. The title of the sermon this morning, as I said, is Calling Christians to Return to Reality. I've been saying for many years that Christianity, the Bible, God Himself calls us Christians to be realists. I believe that with all my heart, with all my mind, and that filter, that worldview, informs all of my theology from creation to consummation. But why? What is the biblical basis for this? I better have one. And and how might the Bible help us to formulate our thinking about virtual reality? About the metaverse? Here's the foundation, the way I see it. Before the sermon, Pastor Scott read from Genesis 1, the inspired account of how the one true God created everything that is. I believe that account, by the way, because as it turns out, he, God, was the only one who was there. And so I find that such an eyewitness account is pretty reliable. But here's the key I want you to see. The real world, the real universe, all of reality, that is what God has created. God didn't create anything that is not real. And everything He created was good. Let me give you another example. God has given you the ability to think. That's what I'm begging you to do. And those thoughts are real. They need to be formed. They need to be transformed. Even repented of at times. We saw that in Matthew 5 with Jesus' discussion of the law as we return to Romans 12. 1 and 2, we see the same thing. But, but you also have the ability to imagine. Some companies, that's their whole shtick. And there's a fine line here. 
And here's the line. Let's say it's 20 degrees outside and you go outside in your swim trunks and you, with all your might, imagine that you're on the beach in Hawaii. Guess what? You freeze to death. Why? Because your imagination is not real. Elizabeth Elliot, wife of the famed missionary Jim Elliot, and an incredible missionary in her own right, she famously said this, there is no grace for your imagination. What's the point? The point is this. We need to get out of our imaginations and bring our thoughts into conformity with reality, into conformity with God's thoughts. And what is reality? Not our reality. That's crazy talk. There's only one reality, and it's God's. It's not ours. And what is the reality? The reality is this, that God exists, and He is the creator of all things that are real, the creator of all things that matter, the creator of all things that are good. And human beings, that's us. We have screwed it up. From the beginning in Genesis 3, we have attempted to play God ourselves and sent the whole thing almost to hell. Literally. And I'm not cursing. That's true. But, and this is the glory of reality. This is where the prologue of John, John chapter 1 comes in, which we also heard before the sermon. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen. Because I'm going to read parts of it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All real and true things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything was, that was, was made that was made. In Him was real life. And the life was the light of real men. The real and true light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the real world. And the real world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became real flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his real and true glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received real and true grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only real and true God who is at the Father's side has made him known. The second person of the Trinity did not become an avatar in the oasis to save avatars. In the oasis. No. The second person of the Trinity became a human being, like us, yet without sin, so that human beings could be saved from sin. This is the gospel. It's real and it's true and it's good. And you must believe it or you cannot be saved. You stand condemned in the sight of the one true God whose law you haven't kept and whose name and glory you have trampled with your sinful life, as I did. Jesus became a man. It's Christmas. This is a Christmas sermon. 
We're talking about the incarnation. A real baby conceived supernaturally by the real Holy Spirit, born of a real virgin, laid in a real manger into a real time and place. I've been reading a little Francis Schaeffer. I recommend it, right? It'll expand your mind. And this week, this week, providentially, I believe, I read this, and I'll, and I'll finish up with this. I read this. He's speaking of the fall of mankind into sin, and he writes this, quote, What does a historic space-time fall involve? It means that there was a period before man fell, that if you had been there, you could have seen Adam before he fell, that at the point when he revolted against God by making a free choice to disobey God's commandment, there was a tick of the clock. Take away the first three... <laughs> Take away the first three chapters of Genesis and you cannot maintain a true Christian position nor give Christianity's answers. End quote. Friends, Christianity is real and true or we must abandon it altogether. Schaefer was calling Christians to reality decades ago. The call today is the same. Jesus became a man, the man. He entered into a real space just the, at, the, at just the right real time. And he died on a real Roman cross at Calvary, suffering in his real physical body, shedding real physical blood, blood that is powerful to wash away the sin that ensnares us. This is reality, friends. All other virtual realities are a distraction. So many will be lost forever because they are unable to shake the distractions. Some people hearing this sermon might be lost. Some of your children might be lost in the metaverse. We must be about the business of calling deceived human beings created in the image and likeness of God out of slavery to sin, out of their deception, out of their distractions, and back to reality. And if the Son of God shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. I really am finishing. Give me 30 seconds. At the beginning of the sermon, I gave you a bunch of statistics about the mental health of Americans, especially young people in America. Friends, there is only one solution to this problem. A return to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is powerful to save. May the God, the Holy Spirit, empower and use us, the church, to proclaim a gospel powerful to save. Calling men and women and children out of darkness and into reality, into the joy of being in right relationship with their creator, and into the marvelous light of the glory of the one true God. Listen, we must be prepared now. You might, listen, you might be the only person in someone's life who will warn them. What do I want you to do? It's simple. In your bulletin, you got a Bible reading plan. I want you to use it. If you're not here in the building this morning, I want you to think about getting here next week and fellowshipping with real people. In the interim, get yourself a Bible reading plan. Email the elders. For God's sake, type Bible reading plan into your internet search engine. If you can find the metaverse, you can find the Bible reading plan. 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Let me ask you, are you spending at least that much time in the virtual world? This book, God's book, is our reality. It infallibly tells us about Him. It infallibly tells us about us. And it wonderfully and gloriously tells us how we 
sinful as we are, can be put back in right relationship with God through the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's time, Christian, to come back to reality. Let's be done with the distractions around us. Come to Jesus, the true and living Savior, and live really 